Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, April 14th, 2021. Well, one thing I find myself telling my children often is to not be afraid. And many times, as I'm trying to teach that to my young children, I'm trying to point out that whatever it is they're being scared of in the moment is not that scary. It's not worth being afraid of some fly you saw flying around the backyard, right? That's not a scary thing. So therefore, we don't need to be afraid of it. Well, One thing we see often in scriptures is really God telling his children, do not be afraid. However, we're going to see some slightly different logic. Today, we're going to be reminded why we should not be afraid. And it's not going to be because, well, this thing isn't scary. It's going to really teach us how we can not be afraid even when things are legitimately scary. And so we're going to open up our Bibles to Psalm 46 and look at verses 1 through 7 today. And it begins with these incredible, encouraging, and famous words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So when you listen to those verses, that kind of sounds pretty scary, right? The earth is giving way. The mountains are being moved into the heart of the sea. I mean, a lot of the things my kids freak out for, I'm trying to teach them, hey, that's not worthy of freaking out. Well, mountains being thrown into the heart of the sea, that maybe sounds like, hey, can we freak out now? And The word, the Bible, is telling us, no, we won't freak out even then. Why? And that's where we get to the why is not really about, well, how scary is this thing? The why comes back to who God is. God is our refuge and strength, right? The the reason we don't need to be afraid, even when life or the world is legitimately scary, is because of who God is. That he is our refuge and strength, right? And those are two strong words. I mean, strength, literally strong, and then refuge, this idea of a fortress, a place that you can go and be safe. And then I love the way it puts it in the second half of verse one. He's a very present help in trouble. That God isn't just a refuge that's far away, and I hope you can make it when the hard times come. No, he is a very present help in trouble. That we can always go to him. Our refuge is with us. And so when things come into our lives, a lot of us, we want to depend on ourselves or even we find ourselves comforting ourselves by trying to reason about how I don't need to worry about this thing because it's not that bad. And hey, that might feel like it works sometimes, but at some point in your life, you're going to be hit with something that is that bad. And how are we not going to fear then? Well, that teaches us even in those lesser things, we shouldn't be just saying, hey, it's not that bad. We should be telling ourselves, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help 
in trouble. And so that is why we shouldn't be afraid. That that is how God is trying to teach us to not fear. And and there's a great image then in verse 4 where it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. He shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, right? This idea of you've got this city, maybe even though this city is feels surrounded by enemies, but there's a river in the midst of the city. And that river brings a source of life, really. I mean, this water source provides um, just hydration and the necessities of life to this city, even though it is besieged. And that's how it should be for us, right? Even when we are surrounded, we have this river in our midst that really comes from who God is. And we know God's power, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts, right? All God has to do is speak and the earth melts. And that's the God that is with us, it says. And even there where it says the Lord of hosts, right? That's a word that's lost some of its oomph in our language because you think of a host, right? You think of somebody that's hosting a, a meal or, you know, the person that, you that greets you when you walk into a restaurant. This is the idea of armies, right? The, the the God of angel armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So that is why we don't need to be afraid today. There might be some legitimately scary things going on in your life, but that's not our fear doesn't depend on whether something is really scary or not. We don't fear because God our refuge, our strength, the God of angel armies, the God who can utter his voice and the earth melt, melts, he is with us. And just, we get a couple amazing glimpses into the power of this God that we are trusting in as we do our other reading this morning. And let's start with Joshua 4 to 6. And we consider... Um, We consider this God who utters his voice and the earth melts. Well, here in Joshua chapter six, especially through his will, the walls of this mighty city come a tumbling down, right? And we read the very familiar story of the fall of Jericho. And this was an incredible display of the power of God. And you can see here that God is trying to build the faith of the Israelites, Right? He's teaching them, hey, you're not going to have to fight against this mighty city. I'm going to do the work for you. The, the walls are going to come tumbling down, and then all you're going to have to do is go straight ahead of you. And, and that's not going to be, the walls aren't going to come down because you came up with some scheme and set some explosives. No, it's just going to come through my power. And, and the way you're going to make this happen is simply by doing what I tell you to do, by walking around the city once for six days and then seven times. On the seventh days and following his instructions, and it happens. And God wants to build our faith too, even through these stories, in his power so that we will not fear. And it's good for us to remember, and that's something we see in Joshua chapter 4, how they take these stones so that they can remember what God has done. And again, that's a principle we've talked here a lot about on Revival from the Bible, that we need to remember the ways that God has been faithful to us. And one of the results of that is we will not fear because we see, we get glimpses of his incredible power. Well, we get perhaps the greatest glimpse of the power of God that we could possibly get as we go now to Matthew 28. And and here we read 
the familiar account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is that first day of the week and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they go to the tomb and there is an earthquake and an angel descends. He rolls away the stone and he sits on it and we see what happens. The guards tremble and become like dead men. But the angel says to the women, do not be afraid. And there, there's a theme for them for today. Again, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Wow. Another reason we don't need to be afraid is God's power. He's proven his power by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And one of my favorite parts of how that is phrased there is what says, he is not here for he has risen as he said. Jesus said this was going to happen. And so the God that we are trusting in, the God that is the reason why you and I do not need to be afraid, he does exactly what he says. And he said that Jesus said, I'm going to rise again. And it happened. And God has said other things like, I will never leave you or forsake you. God has said that he is with us and he will do those things just like he said. And therefore you and I, we do not need to fear. So I hope a few of these passages really encourage us today as we think about Psalm 46, right? And we think about, hey, we live in a world where where scary things can happen, but that's never even a reason to be afraid because God is our refuge and strength. The same God that broke down the walls of Jericho, the same God that rose Jesus from the dead, he is working in us. He is with us. Well, finally, we're going to look at a very interesting and sometimes difficult passage in Romans chapter 7, Romans 7, 13 through 15. And as you read this passage, you need to be aware that there is, this is a passage that many kind of faithful Bible teachers, people that love the Lord, love the gospel, believe in the word, that there's a lot of disagreement about this passage. And even many of the professors or pastors that I've had, I've you know read articles and listened to sermons where they're expressing different opinions about this passage. And one school of thought maybe is the more popular, and maybe this is what you've heard a lot, that you know, this is describing in these passages, the Christian Paul's experience in the Christian life. This, I don't understand what, what I do because I want to do one thing, but I do the, the thing that I hate and that my flesh is working against me. And, and that being his description of his experience as a believer. While there's the other school of thought is that this is Paul describing the experiences of an unbeliever. Right, that this whole idea where he says, "I am sold, I am of the flesh, sold under sin." Yeah, this is this is describing an unbeliever, and there's a lot of talk out there that kind of debates the the, the couple sides of this. Well, I want to at least encourage you today that if you are really thinking carefully through this passage, you should be able to see why this is such a difficult passage, because it does say some things where you, again, if you're being honest, you should read and say, how could this be talking about a believer? But then there will be some other lines that make you say, well, how could this be talking about an unbeliever, right? Uh, Consider again, verse 14, 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Well, we just read Romans chapter 6 where it says we've been we've died to sin, we've been raised with Christ. How can he say that? How can he say if this is talking about a believer that he is sold under sin? But then you get later in the passage and he says some things where you're like, well, how can he if this is talking about an unbeliever, how could that possibly be true. Again, maybe the best example of that is verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Well, well, based on the things he said, especially in chapter three, there is none righteous, none good, none who seek after God. If this is talking about an unbeliever, how can he be saying that he delights in the law of God in his inner being? So this is a legitimately head-scratching passage for some of these reasons. It is a difficult text. And personally, I kind of hold to the view that I think Paul is describing an experience of a believer. And one reason I think that is even some of the similarities we see with Galatians 5, where it talks about the flesh and the spirit being at war with each other. And there is this conflict within us. And I think as believers, we will experience a conflict between this the Holy Spirit within us and still our sinful flesh. But even with that, I want to give a couple words of caution for that. Whatever side you might hold to in that discussion about, well, is this talking about a believer or an unbeliever? Uh, we should all agree that Romans 7 is not where we want to be. And also, one concern I have for people that do hold to the position that this passage is talking about a believer is that this passage starts to become an excuse. And when we find ourselves in sin, we just start repeating the words of Romans 7, oh, wretched man that I am, right? Oh, I want to do one thing, but my flesh is doing something else. And I want to remind us, no, what Paul is saying in this passage does not in any way negate what he is saying in Romans chapter 6. He is teaching us... um, that we need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. That is the way we should be thinking. And I think we need to apply Romans 6. And even though we might experience some of Romans 7, I think Romans 8 even is going to go on to talk about what it means to put to death the sin in our flesh, to put to death the sin in our bodies. And so we even, I think, should look at the last uh, words of this passage or or the beginning words of verse 25, where it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? That there will be deliverance from this body of death through, I think, progressive sanctification as we become more and more like Christ, but then also through glorification when we experience really the completion of our redemption, when we are like Christ and we are with him in glory. So Romans 7 can be a difficult passage, but let's all agree it's not where we want to be. And whatever your view on the passage might be, may we not use it as an excuse for sin, but may we remember what we learned in Romans 6 and consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And may we now with anticipation uh, kind of look forward to some of the things that we are going to see in Romans chapter 8. And as we go through our day today, may we not fear Not necessarily because there's nothing scary going on, but because our trust is in God, the God of angel armies, the God who is with us. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.